Be advised that there is some talk of a medical procedure in this podcast, so if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, then you have been warned. The Book of Dust, Ten Candles and Metal Gear Survive. This is Staying In. I'm not sure how how open are we on this on this how how, how open have you well, always envisioned that we are with, um, with well that? how long have we known each other let's 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 look at that because new listeners coming in already our rapport suggests that we've known each other for ages and ages and ages but I've known you Sam since 2002 2003 something like that yeah I've known Dan since 2004 I thought you guys had known each other longer than that I've got like an image of like you guys like being friends from when you're like six years old. No. No, it's just how we act. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just how we act with each other. But yeah, Sam, yeah. So as, as my brother from another mother, Sam, I think we are open. All I'd say, Sam, this is a safe place. All right. Okay. And bearing in mind, Sam, you were Dan's best man. So we're, we're, all, we're all in the same. Yeah, it's, it's not like we've just met. That's true. Yeah, exactly. I just, I'd still, I just don't want to be too crude, really, because okay. I had to go to hospital today. Well, oh my gosh. Not, it was a hospital. But I like—I didn't have an accident or anything. Okay. But I think I sent some of you an uh, image of me in my lovely gown. Yep. A great Snapchat this morning on my way to work. Oh, yeah. Haven't Brilliant. seen that Snapchat, so spoilers. <laughs> I um, So, basically, I today went in for, and I'll tell you what it is, right? And then I'll give you five seconds to type that into Google. But I won't describe what it is. Okay. okay. So today I went into hospital for something called a flexible cystoscopy. Oh, this this sounds uncomfortable. Now don't don't describe it. Just just search it. I'd spell it first, Sam. How do you spell the second one? C Y S T O S C O P Y. Oh, Google. My, it's it's common because Google's already predicted. Oh. Ah! Okay, I think it's more pertinent if you put it as a Google image search. That oh Sam, <laughs> oh my words. Oh Sam, I think I just kind of oh my gosh, I, I was a bit too loud from a microphone in my scream. And, I mean, particularly if you if you if, if you dub it up. I mean, people also search for flexible endoscopy. <laughs> um, <laughs> gosh. So how how thick is how how thick is that tube they inserted? <laughs> so Sam, when, when you said are we open here, I I I think maybe the context we needed a bit more before we answered that question. I'm not going to describe what the procedure is. No, but I just had to go in for this procedure today, and an ultrasound. So you've had a fun day. So I've had a fun day. Well, it was made even more fun by the procedure itself. wasn't really that daunting. It's actually. The highlight of the day not the highlight but it was the least eventful thing <laughs> Sam, that happened you need to get out more so before i went in for the actual cystoscopy uh, i had to go into another room and uh, just have my blood pressure taken and they had to take some bloods as well as other samples and i'm usually okay with blood tests and things like that i don't look because i think the idea of like seeing it all trickle out of you is a little bit i, I always look Ugh. I think I think it's, when you, when they do it, and they put the needle in, and they put the little canister on, and it just like shoots out like a jet. It looks hilarious. You see, right? So, okay. So, so what happened today was, is it? She's filling it up, and you know sometimes 
where um, you just get an idea in your head and you just can't let it go and just kind of like goes on repeat, goes on repeat. And I was kind of just like looking around the room. She's like, oh, all you're going to feel is a sharp scratch. It's like, yeah, I've had this done before. I've been absolutely fine. And I wasn't looking at what was happening, but suddenly I could hear what was happening, right? I was just hearing this like little trickle into a tube and I was like, oh, oh, hang on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd prefer, I, prefer, I personally, Sam, I would, I would prefer it to be a little trickle than the sound of like a bucket of water being thrown. <laughs> And, and a nurse going, oh my god, oh my god, no, like, like, no. Like wrestling with <laughs> the, the fire hose, like it's a snake. <laughs> so so I was like, started to pick up on this trickling. I was like, oh, oh no, oh, this doesn't feel right. And the last words I remember saying were, I feel a bit ill. Cut to me being woken up by three nurses <laughs> in this little room in an infirmary. One of them holding a packet of shortcakes and a glass of water. It's like... Forcing it down the tube. <laughs> Are you okay there, Mr. Turner? You um, you passed out for a second there. I was like, oh, oh no. And apparently I just like said I was feeling ill and my neck just like snapped back. And I just I just went. So yeah, that was, that was fun. But I got some free shortcake out of it. So... Oh, I had a similar thing last week where I went to the dentist and I had to have two fillings in and they asked the question and I gave the wrong answer to it. And the question they asked me was, do you need anaesthetic? And I thought, oh, no, Chris, let's be butch. Let's be brave. Come on. 32 years old. I've had filling. I had a filling when I was younger. Don't remember it being that bad. Clearly must have psychologically blanked that out because of the pain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah I went through having a filling quite a deep filling where you know you can feel the drill and it's vibrating your skull um, and I I could feel all of it really and uh, severely regret that so public information I think for listeners always go for anaesthetic I have to say I've never been given the option of do you want anaesthetic because the dentists have all been sensible enough to say you should have anaesthetic otherwise you'll be in a lot of pain well, as a, as a little caveat for that, they gave me a little bit of anaesthetic in one area, but they said if I needed it in the other, and um, I just said, nah, I'll be all right. Um, I think it was because, and again, for some reason, we, we've got into this routine. I don't know if it's us or just the world we're living in, but like Sam's Snapchat, I also sent you a Snapchat the last time I had my filling in, and I tried to drink a glass of water, and half of it went down my front. Ah, yeah. And I, and I, I had to do some teaching that afternoon, and I wanted to be <laughs> as verbally dexterous <laughs> <laughs> as as I usually am, dare I say. So I thought, okay, by not having anaesthetic, that will mean that I'll be able to kind of string a sentence together coherently. I do I do remember one time when I was really young having... I had to have, uh, like, three teeth taken out. Um, and they actually kind of put me kind of under a general anaesthetic. So properly, I was asleep while they did it. But apparently, whilst I was asleep, I turned and pulled the kind of... The needle out. It was kind of in my in the back of my hand pulled it out so when I woke up all done kind of obviously all bleary but because I'd pulled it out halfway through blood had gone everywhere so I just woke up covered in blood like oh my what? gosh yeah. I was only I was, it was a terrifying experience but yeah that, that, you got over it though just about yeah oh my gosh when did we become a medical podcast I don't, I don't know. know it's become like an episode of House 
I feel like we now need to kind of meter out some advice. I mean, I'm not I'm not hoping that this becomes like a, a regular feature where we have to think, oh gosh, who's going to go into hospital this week just so we can kind of <laughs> pad out the pod. We're all getting into different scrapes and challenges just so we yeah, can... Yeah, I'll get my appendix out sort. in March. Um... <laughs> In the past, I've been fitter than I am. Let's just say that. Um, okay. So when it came around the start of the year, I realised I was probably as big as I've ever been, and I thought, yes, I really need to eat better. I need to get back doing some exercise. Um, so I decided what I what I tend to do when I exercise, I'll go to the gym and I'll just kind of run or I'll cycle. That's generally what I do. Um, so I thought I need to do that, but I need some kind of encouragement. I need to kind of be hitting targets and stuff like that. So what kind of target could I set? And my first thought was kind of. I know, I'll do something along the lines of the equivalent of like Land's End to John O'Groats. Can I do that over the course of a year? That would be a really good kind of achievement. So I looked into kind of, I went onto Google Maps, put in that, worked out how long that would be. And it's been like 1,200 kilometers. And I was like, that's not going to happen. That's just not going to happen over the course of a year. Um, based on the nature of how I was planning on doing it. So I thought, okay, well, let, let me, let's try and narrow this down a bit. And I came up with the idea of working out the distance travelling from my house in London to Sam, your house mm. in Manchester, on to Chris's mm. house in Liverpool, down to Pete's house in Bristol, and then back to mine. And I worked out that was 736 kilometres, which sounds like quite a lot, but when you break it down, it's actually, to do that over the course of a year, it's actually not too difficult. You just need the commitment to be regularly exercising, and that's all I needed. So I kind of put this to you guys, and you guys were, were well, you you and Sam and Chris, you were excited by it. Um, well, yes. you, you tell me if excited is the right word. Um, the other member of our party, perhaps not so much, um, but I just thought I've, I've dubbed it the uh, 2018 Around the Houses Challenge. Um, it's a snappy title. It is, isn't it? Um, so yeah, that was just my idea, and it, it gave me a kind of a target but also allows me to as we kind of keep track of our figures of what we've run we can then run the the my the one that i said it was run cycle or row to give myself a bit of a variety so i'm not just doing the same thing and obviously you guys might be cycling more or running more or stuff like that um but as we know the distance we've traveled we can work on work out on the map and as a kind of a narrative we can be like, okay, I'm in Birmingham at the moment. I'm just approaching Sam's house. At one point, me and Sam, on our on our trip, we were just around the corner from my old flat in Watford, where I used to live. And we looked on Google Maps, and he was literally a five seconds away from my house. And it was quite a fun thing of, okay, now I, I can judge that distance from I've travelled the equivalent from where I live now to my old flat miles away. What what did you guys kind of? Are you enjoying the uh, narrative aspect? I really am. I, I'm like, although admittedly, I can't like perceive it in my head. Like, I enjoy like adding to this wonderful table you've created for us, Daniel, which automatically graphs our results and sees where we should be. Um, mm. So it's, it's it's incredible what you've created in there with the kind of the um, the equations and the kind of the Excel esque spreadsheet. Um, if there's one thing I love, it's an Excel spreadsheet. I know, Dan, you're all over that. Um, Pete's with Gantt charts, uh, Sam PowerPoint, I don't know, uh, me, Probably. I'm all about that little paperclip, um, give me little pointers, <laughs> uh, 
Um, but like, um, and there's there is that kind of what's that word? One of those wonderful words Pete makes up. It's competition, but it's co-op, it's co-op, cooperation or something. What's the word? Where you're, it's competitive, but there's a sense of collaborative, something collaborative. No, cooperative is a genuine word. Um, yeah. Let's have a look. Google uh, cooperative competition. <sighs> co competition. We'll go with that. So yeah, so like in the morning, if I'm thinking, ah, oh, this is the day I usually run. Do I really want to do that? I'll go on the database. Oh no, Dan and Sam are way ahead of me. Like Dan's rode off along the river. I picture it, you know, by I don't know some kind of river that spans that distance, and Sam's run ahead. I've got to catch up with them, and that kind of impetus is really helping me quite a lot, actually. Um, so I, I my tactic has been to kind of slowly increase my distance each run um, to try and get to that stage, really. Um, yeah, I think it's it's been a, a really really useful thing for me, and it's been actually quite nice to actually to be able to kind of almost collectively exercise with you, gentlemen. Yeah, and, and and I'm enjoying like the at the moment I am in uh, Edelsborough, uh, which is as far as I run, which is just past Whips, Whipsnade Zoo. So we're sort of like. We're pretty much. I'm about forty kilometres or something like that outside of um, Rice Slip, where we started. So some lovely things that I could be going and watching right now because I haven't been a run in a few days, uh, as you can understand from this morning's procedure. That might not be for a while. <laughs> um, so I've got the Swan in uh, and Silver Arrow Archery um, nearby me, so I could always pop in, pop in around there. I. I, I Fortuitously, on one of my first stops, I stopped by a KFC, which was um, nice, which was lovely. But like, but I enjoy. I don't think I'm going to be able to run all of this. I think I'm going to have to pop into a gym and like knock off like 50k, like just to give myself a little bit, a little bit of breathing room. Because even though I love running, like it is, um, it is a bit time consuming and kind of like. It's difficult to find, especially if you haven't, you know, got an access to a gym or just don't like running on a treadmill. It is difficult to kind of squeeze in time around. And if I go on a gym or on a bike, I can play my switch while I'm doing it. You see, always thinking. So that when when I had the idea, because obviously I I go to the gym. Was about I know both of you guys were more like to say go run outside or stuff like that. And I know you also go cycling and stuff. That's why I kind of introduced the the other options, so you have that variety. Um, but yeah, absolutely, it can be time-consuming to do it in a certain way. So, in theory, it works out if you can do five five k three times a week, that will get you to the your end target, which yeah. by itself is actually not that difficult to do. But when you think about that over the course of an entire year, that's a lot of commitment. Yeah, which is which is kind of the important thing. Um, here's another here's another angle, Dan, that we might want to consider further down the road if we think we're not going to be able to um, successfully complete this. We'll just move closer to each other. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there is. If we found it too easy, there is an extended version of the of of, of, of the oh. course, um, which goes up to I think 826. And the I added a location, and the location I added. Um, oh, I think we all know was a point in Aberystwyth University where we all met. Well, as close as to all of us meeting as possible. Obviously, you guys met a little bit before that. 
Um, so that would have added on a bit more time to that. So that would have been in Aberystwyth University in the Parry Williams building, added in that into our journey. And that so if we, if we hit our target, that's our next target. There's a little blue plaque oh. there, isn't there, to uh, commemorate that momentous yeah. <laughs> summit. Yeah, I've I've already got it uh, built, uh, created the uh, 2018 around the houses challenge. I mean, the title is a little bit needs a little bit of work. Oh, well, I, I like around the houses. Well, that's the that's the title. What's he suggesting? Come on, give us some alternative titles now. Uh, I don't know. I don't. Staying know out on the spot now. Staying out. There you go. Staying out around the houses. No, well, that's you, know, you just like mashing two things together. House um, rules. House rules. <laughs> <laughs> Safe as houses. I mean, they're right Safe themselves. Safe as houses. They do well. Let, let's let's get back to that one, shall we? So uh, regularly throughout the year, we're not going to we're not going to do this every episode, but regularly throughout the year, we will tell listeners where we are in the country. Um, and I'm I'm, on sure, I'm sure we'll keep people up to date on Twitter. And also our various ailments, any doctor's appointments, dental, anything like that, we'll also um, yeah. keep our fingers on the pulse. You're, I mean, you'll notice we're not including uh, Pete in any of this conversation, and I'm sure Pete will be able to explain his reasons for not wanting to go around the houses next time he's on. Because <laughs> we don't understand them. We don't understand what we asked him, but who knows? It was something about... Some, something about exercise in this way not being part of his regime so i can only imagine what he gets up to at the gym i can only imagine part of me thinks he just goes there and stands on one of those vibrating plates for half an hour <laughs> now nah, part of me thinks that he's just sat there pulling tractor tires with a chain along a corridor <laughs> just listening to the rocky soundtrack i would like it if all he focused on were his guns that's all it. That's all he did. <laughs> just punching, <laughs> punching big like um, like hanging racks of meat in like abattoirs. Just punching them. I want to talk about a book that I got for my birthday uh, last year, um, and it was a joy for me because it was kind of a continuation of a beloved series of books. Ah, uh, now this I is now this is a, a series that you got me into, didn't you? Yes, when we were living together. Uh, this is um, a continuation of his Dark Materials by Philip Pullman. Dan, have you read those? I have not. They're incredible, Dan. Honestly, I think they're better than the Harry Potters, hands down. <gasps> yeah, I am a fan of the Harry Potters. I know. I know. As am I, Dan. As am I. Some bold and statements right books, there. I know it is a bold statement, but there's just something about Philip Pullman's writing style that I just find utterly bewitching. And... Um, essentially, um, his dark materials, broadly speaking, is a marriage of um, kind of epic kind of fantasy um, located within a kind of a, a quintessential Englishness. It's about parallel universes. It's quantum theory, the, the poetry of William Blake, um, Milton's Paradise Lost, uh, religion and science and philosophy. And these are kind of early teen kind of books and into this kind of overwhelming, bewildering, kind of beautifully rich tapestry of worlds and characters and and love and friendships. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful trilogy. And he returned to it after years have passed. And, um, and just picking that book up in December, suddenly I was a teenager again. Suddenly I just 
fell back into this world and it was just very lovely to have to, you know you know how sometimes can nostalgia can be nostalgia is a cruel mistress and sometimes you can revisit a kind of a world same we talked about that in relation to games in particular you know games that we have such fond feelings for and we'll go back and we think oh my word this is not how I remembered it being whatsoever however yeah, that's what I was going to ask you because I've only just you you lent me what was the first book was the first book his Dark Materials? The first book no. is Northern Lights. The whole series of his Dark Northern Materials. Lights. Yeah, so you lent me Northern Lights because I'd not read it before. And I finished it and I immediately then immediately you lent me the other two. Yeah. Which are kind of... Because I think I, like many people, had seen the film. Which is awful. Was the film called Amber Sky Glass? No, the film is called The Golden called? Compass, which is a, a bit like compass, Harry yeah. Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and the Philosopher's Stone. The Amber, the Amber, I'm sorry, the um, Golden Compass was the American title of it. Ah, all right, okay. So, yeah, so I was coming at it from that I'd seen this film, and because everyone was kind of like, "Oh, this is going to be like the new Harry Potter franchise, and it's going to be fantastic," uh, but the film was just absolutely god awful. And the first book is kind of like I don't know whether it's because I view it through the lens of the film or because um, it's sort of like it is just doing a lot of world building. Yeah. I was kind of a little bit, I was lukewarm to it and you and you definitely pushed me to read, to carry on reading the other books. And it's only when you kind of read the other books that you kind of get, wow, this is, that's like first book really does set everything up and does does everything nicely, like does all, does all the hard work in the first book so you can just like enjoy the other two. Um so I find it really interesting that he's gone back to this, especially as he seemingly wraps everything up quite neatly at the end of the third book. Yeah. So like does so is this like the same characters, the same or is it just in the same world? Is it the same the sort of similar sort of threat that's it's, going on? Like It's actually set um before the first book. We're talking like a decade or so before the first book. So okay. it's kind of almost like if, if J.R.R. Tolkien had written Lord of the Rings first and then written The Hobbit. Um, so you there will be familiar faces appearing in the book, but by the end of it, the kind of the novelty of those kind of homages to that world that you already know, they kind of yeah. they don't matter anymore. You actually you've, you've, you've Pullman's done that wonderful thing of introducing you a char- introducing you to a character that you've really kind of grown fond of. Um, and you hope for that to be their story to be continued onwards. And from what I understand, because this is a new trilogy, so this is the first of a new trilogy, the second book isn't a direct continuation of this first one. In fact, I believe the second book is going to continue 20 years after The Amber Spyglass. All right, I see. So he's kind of being quite clever about it and kind of like enclosing the trilogy as he as he wrote it. So kind yeah. of filling in a few more, almost like creating like an appendix to... Kind of, yeah, and so because it's the book of dust, the, the dust is front and center of this, and and yeah. dust in this context is basically this wonderful idea. Uh, and I think it's I think it comes from a Blake poem about the idea, you know, that that it had this matter that binds the universe is something that possesses a degree of consciousness, and right, it's yeah. about our ability to try and understand and comprehend that because it links all of us as human beings. Um, there's a kind of a causal link that we're all connected by these things. And I think one of the greatest conceits within the narrative is that every 
individual in this world and it's kind of a parallel world to our own it's there are familiar tropes there's an oxford for example there's a great britain but it's called albion instead um is that every character has a demon and this demon yeah. is an, an animal and when you're a child this demon can just change at whim into a variety of different animals it's only when you become an adult that it sets and it's that that animal demon is almost like this kind of archetype it just um is there to represent your personality um, and there's a figure in this book of dust who has probably one of the creepiest demons I can imagine. And I get this sense that all the stuff that Pullman wanted to explore, those little intricacies and what ifs that he's had like several decades to sit on and think, well, what if, what if that happened? What if that happened? He's been able to kind of put to good use in this narrative. And so it leads to there's some real originality within his own works, which is very in terms of the world he created and built all those years ago. So if you're a real fan of the original series, you should really go back into it. It's literally like putting on um, a familiar kind of jumper, lovely familiar woolly jumper from yesteryear. Um, I've I've not read obviously the, the Dark Materials or, or kind of this new The Book of Dust, um, but I do have uh, a connection. Uh, as a n- couple of months ago, me and some friends went out in Oxford and went for Sunday lunch at a pub called the Trout, which I believe <gasps> is a is a is a main uh, location in the Book of Dust. You're right, Dan. So the Book of Dust is book one called the Belle, La Belle Sauvage, and it's the lead character is this guy called Mal- kid called Malcolm, and his parents own this pub called the Trout, and it's essentially and it's in Oxford, and it's essentially this huge social vortex, like you know all village pubs are. Um, lots of hearsay and based on the, on the kind of people that Malcolm encounters when he's washing up and serving people drinks that kind of sets in motion the chain of events that will inform the later books in his Dark Material so yeah and Pullman obviously is from Oxford um, I was very lucky enough at my master's graduation he got the honorary doctorate there and he gave a speech to us which was amazing to actually have Philip Pullman kind of you know give you a speech was just it made it, you know I mean, it's the icing on the cake in terms of that whole experience, really. Um, and he is—he is a bit of a, a bit of a rogue, a bit of a maverick. His speech was about messing about, the importance of messing about, not taking life too seriously. Um, but there's a real kind of, real strong, obviously literary knowledge, and homage to these kind of great works that have influenced him. That I talked about earlier, um, and the DNA of all these insp- these figures of inspiration are just so throughout this entire book still. So yeah, cool, awesome. The trout sounds great. I'd love to go to the trout. And it, if that wasn't reason enough for you to go, the 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 meal that I had there, the Sunday lunch, I one of the options is a trio of Sunday lunches, where you have a big what? Sunday lunch with all the trimmings, but you have three meats. So you have chicken, beef, and pork. Which, when I saw there was an option for a trio of Sunday lunches, I immediately thought of you, Chris. Oh my gosh, where would I start? It's delicious. I mean, does does the first does the first Sunday roast? It doesn't seem like much, but it's actually just world building for the rest of the two Sunday dinners. <laughs> no, it's, no it's, it's it's not like kind of Vicar Dibley where she just eats like repeated meals. It all comes on the one plate. It's just a very large plate. I, Dan, it's interesting you say this because, like, um, my partner, and it sounds like a tangent, but it's not. My partner is obsessed with the TV series Peaky Blinders, which I've not really watched. Um, and, like, we realised that about 40 minutes from where we live, it's actually closer to where you live, Sam. In fact, we'll probably run past it at some point, is um, a place <laughs> called Arley Hall, where they filmed 
um, some of the sequences in series three. So we walked around that kind of set the other day and she was trying to trespass as much as possible. And we couldn't get in because there was a wedding on. Um, but there was something about going to a location where something is being filmed that, um, I don't know, even, even as a, a kind of a cynic saying, look, you know, it's just, it's just a place at the end of the day. A lot of it's just, it's just the magic of TV. It doesn't make much of a difference. Us being sat in this field in the rain. We mean, there's no difference here, but there's still something about that. I don't know, going to a place where something that you, you like has happened here. There's something very interesting about that. Well, to go um, back to my comment a second ago, I have been to the, um, there's a tiny village. I can't remember the name of it now. Um, where they filmed the Vicar of Dibley, where they've got the church and they've got the kind of yeah. uh, the vicar's house, which is next door to the church, and you kind of look around like, yeah, I've I've seen this before. This is this is yeah, this is very familiar. Really eerie. I've also been to the house from Father Ted as well. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. Oh, in, on a trip in Ireland with some friends, um, we went for a drive. And we went literally into the middle of nowhere. We didn't even know where we were going at the time because we hadn't been told. And he just kind of pulled up to this house literally in the middle of a field. And we're like, do you recognise that? And we're kind of like, it looks a bit like the house from Father Ted. He was like, yep. That's brilliant. At the moment, guys, so I'm a bit distracted because I am buying a... It's because you had a, a, a ch*** in your p***s today. Oh Dan, look, oh, Dan. Say it. Dan, we got Dan. to cut that out. We can't have that Dan. Dan. I like the air of mystery. Oh, because okay. I'll, cool. I, right, I'll just, I, listener, I know, I know that all you heard was I had a beep up my beep today, yeah. but <laughs> Dan was just, oh, what are you do, what are you doing, Sam? You seem really preoccupied. What are you doing? Yeah, I'm just, I'm buying a, a a board game for my birthday. But also, which is coming up in the next few months, and also um, a game that we're going to be playing when you all come up for the joint birthday, still doesn't have a name, of Daniel and myself. Because Dan's is at the end of February, mine's at the start of March. So always at this time of year, we always make sure that we get together and we have some sort of gathering, which I think is a nice tradition. And we do the same. We try and always do the same in the summer and then do the same in the in the sort of winter time because Chris yours and Pete's birthdays are kind of almost well they're like a couple, about a month apart aren't they? yeah about a month or so yeah because you sent so, us this whatsapp saying you'd found your RPG but you wouldn't tell us what it was so yeah so um as usual like I've just been kind of looking at my collection and thinking yeah there's you know there's games it's, in here that it's not all... big enough well I was thinking that but the thing is like when we when we last were all together we got through so many like i think we played about 14 games and like and it was great and it was wonderful but and but i was kind of like thinking i'd love to for us to like to sit down and play actually just two or three games and um, for them to be like really sort of interesting meatier experiences rather than just like half an hour sort of or 45 minute experiences so i've been kind of like looking around for stuff to play. The first thing that's come to mind and that I've bought is I guess you kind of it's it's a computer game but kind of based on a lot of things that we see in board games, which is Hidden Agenda. So it's made by which is a, a PS4 game. It's made by the same guys who made Until Dawn. Um which was an excellent 
um, sort of choose your own adventure style horror game um, that had Hayden Penanitaire. Pen, how do you say it, Dan? Hayden Penanitaire. Penanitaire, that's the one. Had her in it. So you tell who's the heroes fan in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and that like that's one of my favourite games. And the um, the sort of the well, it's it's in all of their games except for the one they did for PlayStation VR because they've just released a new one uh, called The Inpatient. Is that their calling card is they do stuff with um, the butterfly effect. So they're all about like the choices you make will impact um, what's sort of happening, um, and they they really kind of super massive games is the name of the company they really kind of play on this idea of 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 making choices and these affecting things so they release this game that plays with uh playstation's playlink feature um uh, which is an app that people can download on tablets and uh ipads and phones and basically it enables players in the room to control a game on the screen without everyone have to having to handle a PlayStation controller and get used to controls. Um, it's a, like a really sort of party game, good party game idea. So Hidden Agenda uh, takes that idea and applies it to this video game about cops trying to solve a murder and trying to, you're on the, like, the tail of a serial killer, I think. But as the name suggests, you are... Uh, trying to cooperatively come together and solve this murder between you and who's playing, but w- someone on your team will have a hidden agenda. So if you played the Resistance before, or Coup, or um, One Night Betrayal, or Werewolf, yeah. pardon, Betrayal, um, someone on their phone, secret to them, will be given a card that will tell them what they're going to be trying to get either out of a scene or out of a certain particular scenario. And so then they've got to either by force or by negotiation with the other people around their team team try to bend them so they all vote for the story to go in a particular way. So hopefully that's going to be quite fun. Well, I, th- I think there's th- isn't there two version two isn't there two game modes? One where you just all work together, and then the one where you've got the kind of the the mole. I'm sure that I think there's two modes. One's a bit more friendlier than the other probably less fun yeah there's like there is there is a cop there's a i think there's a cooperative mode and then there's kind of a competitive cooperative mode where you're going for points um based on so so we'll, we'll play that apparently that's like a good like two three hours that'll be like a good sort of in the evening sitting down playing that the other game which i'm just about to buy is called cosmic encounter which Ooh. is um lauded as well I actually found out I didn't know this it's over 30 years old maybe even over 40 years old it's been it's a critical darling publishers. though yeah it's it's basically lord is one of the best board games ever made um uh to briefly put it it's basically uh, the game is very simple that you each are all controlling uh an alien race and basically you've got to take over uh and land your spaceships on other people's planets the first person to land five of their spaceships onto five different planets wins. But what the beauty of the game is that everyone's controlling one of 50 different alien races and each alien race has a different way of bending the rules. 
and creating different scenarios um, through which to play with. So I think that's going to be really good fun because that's a good opportunity for us to like bluff and negotiate and, you know, talk around the table. It's a lot more than when I was looking at, you know, big meaty games or games that are really interesting. I didn't want something that was going to be interesting mechanically. So we're all just like kind of sitting in silence and thinking about, well, if I move that there, then he'll move that there. And if I put that worker here, so kind of wanting to step away from Euro game. So I was looking at, so Cosmic Encounter is a really good sort of social um, sort of bluffing and negotiation game. So that should be good. And then the final game, which I've got right here, which is I was looking for an RPG for us to play. Um, I was, I was sort of, three seconds away from buying Fiasco, which they've played on tabletop. Yeah. Um, which seems like a really interesting uh, RPG, but it's kind it's very it's very sort of loose RPG. You kind of create the scenario that you're in, no one's the GM. It's kind of a, more about improvising scenes. There's but there was there wasn't the finality to it that I wanted. There wasn't the um, direction to it that I wanted. So instead, I bought 10, 10 candles. 10 candles. There it is. I printed printed it out. What's 10 candles? I've never heard of this. So 10 candles is um, a bit of an indie RPG uh, darling, as you've already kind of said, Chris. Um, so it's an RPG where where you've got a, you've got a GM but one of the appealing things about it and one of the kind of things that I wanted in the RPG that we were going to play is something that's going to take as little prep time as possible and and not dominate the evenings as other RPGs that we've done before have. Um, so I don't, as, as the GM and the person who's running it, there's little to no work that I have to put into doing it. And as players, there's little to no work that you have to put into doing it. We kind of, we kind of build the world together. What happens in 10 Candles is we will be sitting at the table and we will light 10 little tea lights with a dish in the middle of the in the room. And those 10 tea lights are the timer for the game. Like not literally, not like when they die, when they like burn out, that's like the game over. Basically, what happens is uh, you start the game and whoever's playing has like little index cards and on their index cards they'll write like a virtue like that they're brave or trusting or don't need uh, anesthetic yeah don't need anesthetic <laughs> uh, on another card they'll write like um, a failing um, like they're weak they're fragile they need anesthetic and the <laughs> <laughs> And basically, you build up your character using these cards in front of you. And you think, I think you have like four traits that you have. Um, so the game goes on and there's like the scenario of the game is kind of always the same. Like an event's happened, all the lights have gone out, you've got to stay in the light or else these things come chasing after you in the dark. And so as you kind of go on, There'll be times when, as players, you're trying to do something like in most RPGs that is a bit beyond you, a bit special, um, a bit unexpected, or the outcome is not expected, so you'd have to roll for it. And you roll 10 dice. If you roll a 6 of any of those 10, you're successful. If you roll a 1 
of any of those dice, those dice get taken away for the whole game. And you roll, and also, and if you don't roll any sixes, you fail. Whatever happens, and I think this is right, one of the candles then gets burnt out. And then we move on to the next scene. So then as we're going, basically the whole game is just these 10 scenes signified by the candles. Now, one thing that I really love about it is that, and I think it's going to be right up our alley because we're drama guys at heart, is that if you roll a one and you want to change the roll, you've then got to burn, set fire to one of the aspects of your character and blend that into the story. So if you want to like re-roll some dice, you've got to sort of sacrifice an element of your character and use that in the story that going forward, which is super fun. And the idea is, is that whenever you want to do something, you roll as many dice as there are candles on the table. So you'll start with 10. So at the start of the game, all the players seemingly have control over the GM, but as it goes on, you'll have less and less dice to play with. So then I'll have more control over how the story goes as you go along. Interesting. Is this so? We is this in like a similar vein to when Dan kicked us off with Dread, another yeah. indie kind of RPG? Like, are there scenarios yeah. already in there, or are you just given the kind of the blueprints to kind of build your own scenarios from this? So, in this in this pack, basically, is um, is is the general rule set. So, like how like the lighting works, the the setup of the game where you guys are deciding on your characters, and how and sort of the setup of the game itself and the rule set. But beyond that, there's nothing. There's there's 25 sort of starting paragraphs of where you could set the story um, and where your character could start and maybe an objective, an overall objective that they've got to get to. But other than that, there's nothing. This really is like an RPG where we'll be sitting down. I'll give you guys an, uh, a starting point and then you're you're off to do it. And I And I won't know where it's going either. So we're really kind of, the relationship between us two is a lot more lucid than it has been in the past. So I won't even like have a screen that I'm hiding behind or anything like, there won't be like stats that you have to hit a monster by, there won't be like, you know, certain things that you'll have to see or perceive or do. It's very much, it's going to be a lot more improvisational than we've than anything we've done before. Cool. I'm, I'm looking then. forward because I, when you when you mentioned it, I kind of hmm. surprisingly there aren't that many RPGs based on candlelight, um, so no. I, I did manage to kind of fi- <laughs> find it online. And I teased it. Yeah, so I found fa- I found it online. I haven't I've, I didn't want to spoil your surprise. So I just all I saw was kind of the blurb of the lights have gone out, and just from the kind of the small blurb I read, it sounded really exciting. And I from yeah. that I was like, yeah, I'm I'm actually really looking forward to get to playing kind of like a a proper horror RPG. We t- we touch on it a bit mm-hmm. with Dread with the one that I. Ran. This sounds much more like it's going into that, much more than the one we did. That, the first one we did was kind of a toe in the water of kind of a horror, survival horror idea, whereas this is kind of jumping both feet in. It does, it does sound really, really cool. I'm really, really excited by it. Cool. Can we have scented candles? <laughs> uh, maybe I should get some of those Resident Evil. Uh, you, you know, they released they released that Resident Evil. They had like candles that gave off the smell of like raw meat. Oh dear lord! So I could get mm. ten of those, or lavender. Mm. Yeah, lavender be good. I think that if we actually did it with ten scented candles, I think that would even set my hay fever off, and I don't even <laughs> have hay fever. Yeah, too much. We all have to bring a candle. 
I was just thinking that. Yeah, we could each bring a candle. <laughs> bring a massive one. I'm not losing because it's meant to just be tea. Yeah, because it's meant to just be tea lights. But if I say that, Pete will go. Pete or someone will do. Think they're being clever and get some of those like uh, get like a joystick or a you know, like one of those like scented wick candles. I'm just going to bring one of the candles that lights itself. <laughs> just or a birthday powers. candle, birthday cake candle. <laughs> That sounds incredible. So basically, we're we're almost kind of. It's going to have a bit of a say. It's going to have its an atmosphere, isn't it, from the get go? Well, it's going to be say. Apparently, like. there are apparently there are things that you chant. Um, from what I've I've still got to kind of deep dive into the rules a lot more. But apparently, each scene after a candle's gone out, each scene starts with me telling you that the three truths of the scene, and then we all chant together, and we are alive. So there is like, and you play, and you're meant to play with only the lights of the candle illuminating the table as well. So there's very much a chance that you are kind of like holding this almost, um, imagine like a campfire that we're all telling, a, like remembering a story of old around. So, uh, so cooking, that's cooking our sausages like... over the tea lights. <laughs> but it was that, I think what introduced me to it is that thing that we kind of lost a bit from dread because one of the one of the upsetting things i found about dread is that we in terms of pulling from the tower like had this massive like jenga tower in the middle and it was like meant to symbolize the fragility of the situation that we're in but we always found a way of avoiding to pull from it so so the more rpgs we've done the more we've kind of moved more into traditional like role and decide action but what I like about Ten Candles is it kind of brings back that sort of dramatic presence in the game, like that that physical sort of focus for what we're doing. Like as you're playing, and the deeper the story goes, the darker it's literally and figuratively going to be. And I, and I love that idea. I do, I do think I think if we play Dread again now, it would work a bit better. Only with the fact that I think we're all not so much experienced, but we have more experience of what the job of the GM does. And kind of that kind yeah, of thing. When yeah. we first started, I don't think I know I hadn't. I don't think Chris, you, Chris, and Sam, you guys had played RPGs. For them, Pete might have, but we hadn't really got that much experience doing playing it ourselves. So I think now we've all gone through that and we actually understand the role a bit better. I think when I, because I, I ran that one and I was kind of happy for you to go, for you guys to kind of go around that. I, sh- I could have forced the issue a bit more, which are probably what I would do now to kind of encourage you to do those things a lot a lot more yeah definitely but um but yeah hopefully you all like the games that i have bought well i for one i'm super excited by it so roll on march we talked about this before like we're practically brothers the three of us yes you know speaking (laughs) of rpgs and Not this Pete. brotherly love. Well, Pete's, Pete is a brother of me. He's the kind of like, you know, the black sheep of the family, let's say, the staying in family. Um, um, like, I've recently gotten into um, My Brother and My Brother, My Brother, My Brother and Me's TV series. Because um, as we talked about oh, in a previous yes. pod that, Dan, you got me into was The Adventure Zone, which is their their take on a kind of an RPG. They start off in Dungeons and Dragons and it's three brothers and their father 
kind of going through these. They started off with the the D and D starter campaign, and then Griffin McElroy as their um, DM has created these wonderful kind of arcs um, since then. Different campaigns. I'm currently listening to the one we're on the train, which is quite early on. Which, oh, that's uh, so good! It's fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And I really, really like that kind of the relationship between the three of them. It's really fun. It's not too serious, but serious enough that I'm actually following the story and interested in the characters and stuff. But it's just hilarious. And um, and on Amazon, I discovered for like six quid, you can get the entire first season of their show. Because um, mm-hmm. I think, Sam, we were talking about this. We found um, an episode of someone had put it on YouTube, one of their episodes. And I watched it and loved it. And I just had to buy this series. And um, I've watched it about three times, the whole series. And it's only six episodes. Each one's like 20, 30 minutes, I think. Have you, uh, did you listen to the podcast before then? Their actual... Yeah, I'd listened to bits and podcasts because the problem I had with the Adventure Zone signs was I couldn't tell tell them apart, some of the voices. I know it sounds really silly now, but at the time when you're first listening to it... Yeah, no, I get that. Travis and Justin, I struggled with. But now, putting a name to a face and, and a, particularly a voice to a face, I go back into the Adventure Zone and I listen to their self-help podcast, My Brother, My Brother and Me. And mm-hmm. it's just a little bit more palatable and a little easier, a bit more accessible for me. But the TV show is fantastic because it has that premise of a self-help, but it just goes in these weird and wacky places. And it's all done in their hometown of um, Hamilton, I think. Is it Hamilton? No, it's... Uh, Huntington. Huntington, sorry. Huntington, Huntington, West Virginia. Yeah, Huntington. Yeah. And um, yeah, every episode, uh, a viewer has written in a question. So the first episode is like, I think, like, um, uh, how do I bulk out my CV? And the brothers basically... Um, try and get as much work experience as possible in different jobs to bulk up their CV. In fact, Griffin McElroy, who was previously fired from a job when he was younger, he tries to get his old job back. Um, but his boss was is actually Justin's father-in-law. So the three of them try to get compete for the same job. And it's, it's zany, it's wacky. And it's kind of like Top Gear without the cars and the um, racism, essentially. And... <laughs> um, Um, like these wacky ridiculous kind of motifs but there's something really sweet behind this particularly in the last episode you get this real sense that the reason they're doing this is actually because as the three brothers they all live in different parts of America it's so very rare that they get together and a bit like this podcast to some extent it's an opportunity for them to actually get together and to actually the podcast is just a bonus it's actually the opportunity to get them all to kind of collaborate together um, and it's really, really kind of sweet, actually. And I didn't expect it to go down that territory. Um, and it just made me love the show even more. So six quid um, for genuine laughs. Like I introduced I've, I've only seen the one episode, which is the one um, where they kind of try and deal with uh, Travis's phobia of spiders. That's yeah. it. So I've, that's the only episode that I've seen, um, which was really funny. Um, I mean, I've listened to the, the kind of Obviously, I mean, Mabimbam, as they call it, um, has, I think it's like over 200 odd, 250 episodes. So there's a huge, huge back catalogue. It's up to 350 now. Well, yeah, it's huge, huge back catalogue. So I've, I've I've come to it very late. So I kind of came to it at the same time I found Adventure Zone. Um, so Adventure Zone, I kind of came in at the, at the start of that um, and then tried to listen to some of the, the older episodes, which was funny considering I tried to listen to some of the early episodes of My Brother, My Brother and Me, and one of the brothers in at the, at the time, Griffin, the youngest brother, um, is talking about the fact that he's single and the fact that he doesn't have a girlfriend. Whereas 
when I was listening to it in terms of Adventure Zone, he's talking about how he's having his first child. And so just a kind of the polar opposites of this person's kind of life. It was really interesting to kind of hear that and hear him on one side completely legitimately just talking about the fact that he's single, we have to try and find him a girlfriend, to someone who's just become a father and he's just in a completely different mm. stage of his life. It was really interesting. Yeah, it's it's great. And it's like I listen to pretty much everything that they consume. Um, that, they, that I listen to everything pretty much that they, that they produce. So it is like... My bim bam's out every week. Adventure Zone's out at the moment. It's out every week, and um, Griffin does another podcast called Wonderful. Justin does another podcast with uh, his wife called Sawbones, which is actually really interesting because his wife's a doctor. So they do a, a show every week about like a different like medical. You know, they probably. It just sounds like now that we're muscling in on their good that they're good stuff with our medical podcast. So if anyone wants to turn this into a TV stuff. show. Uh, yeah, give us a call. We're available to. So so it's like it's it's really you get that kind of weird thing where you actually genuinely think like wonderful Griffin's podcast that he does with his wife is just one that they started just to. It's basically like a good news podcast. They just talk about whatever they're thinking, whatever they like at that in that particular week, and it's literally just anything from a particular album or a film that they've watched to like a, a type of food or even like a, a feeling that they have you know so but like as Dan was saying because you consume so much of their stuff and like you listen to um wonderful at the moment and like Griffin Griffin was ill but he was also ill across my brother and brother and me episodes in the adventure zone episode and like he talks about how like his his son uh is like ill and like how that you just you just track their whole sort of relationships through these podcasts and you feel strangely you feel like really close to them and it's really weird like you do you can understand why fans really go wild for them like they feel like they really are part of like this family's the the McRoy life it's Mm. it's really unusual like sometimes I feel like we are like what we do is a little bit similar is that we kind of we do like to be as open and as kind of about what's going on in our lives as as we can do which i think like people really appreciate it's more than just chatting shit about cardboard it's actually you know but we're also going to the doctors and letting the them defile us <laughs> with bleeps and it's like <laughs> <laughs> with bleeps and bleeps yeah i'm um... Like, I mean, we got Noel's house party of the ball game. You know, we got some lovely yeah. people out there. And genuinely, can I use this as an opportunity to ask if people, because we've had some people on Twitter express that they want to play Fortnite with us. They've seen the way we hunker, and they want a piece of that action. Really? Um, yeah, Gen- gentlemen. Because um, my brother, my brother, and me is is an advice show for the modern era, as they call it. And they have <laughs> yeah. often have a feature on it where it's like Yahoo Answers, where yes. like a listener will send in a Yahoo answer they see and ask the brothers to answer it. And I've got one here. I think with our brain trust I can post to the group. Okay. Um, here we go. This is from Yahoo Answers. <laughs> I love the fact that right now we're just ripping something yeah. off. Of yeah, yeah. We, no, we're this doing is no longer staying in. It's my friend, my friend and me. Here we go. No. <laughs> Listen, here's the question. Here's the question. This is important. You need to answer Dad, this. the doctor and the dick. The question is, I'm having a cystoscopy <laughs> tomorrow and I'm very nervous. <laughs> Does it hurt? <laughs> And some, a follow-up thing, 
I have a sensitive bleep and constantly feel like I have to bleep even though yeah. I've just gone to the bathroom. Alright. I feel like I have a UTI, but my doctor says that I don't. What could be wrong? <laughs> Can my problem be fixed? And does this cystoscopy hurt? Will I be able to go out on the town afterwards? <laughs> Can we answer that question for this listener? So th- uh, I mean, what I love about what this 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 question asks is that like I'm convinced I have a UTI, but my doctor says different. So to sort everything out, I'm he, going for this cystoscopy. This like, is absolutely <laughs> someone who has decided I'm not going to listen to the doctors. I'm going to go onto Google, type in a symptom, and then go with that. I mean, if I mean, if you want the the if you well. I don't know what to say, really. I, all I can say is there are naturally parts of the tract that are not straight. So the the fact that a cystoscopy is essentially using <laughs> an external hole to inspect an internal area means that there is going to be uh, there is going to be some natural friction. And, yep. like, the weirdest part about it for me was when we just got to squeeze some gel down. And there's no, like, they were just holding it like it was a bit of sausage. <laughs> like, picked it up, squeezed in the gel, pulled down the camera. So tell me about your day at work. And it's like, oh, God. <laughs> that, that, that camera, Sam, incidentally, as a Yahoo answer uh, has pointed out, is called the Sisterscope. Well. Ugh. I would say to this person, listen to your uh, medical professionals. Uh, if you don't believe the first one, get a second opinion. It's fine to get a second opinion, <laughs> but they know what they're talking about. You don't. Uh, yeah, and, and and to be honest, it it's uncomfortable, but I mean, I wouldn't be going to get done every week, but I didn't faint, so. Well, you'd already done that. <laughs> I was already in a weakened state. So Dan, um, Pete contacted us the other day to say that the Metal Gear Solid Online beta, or Metal Gear Solid oh. Survival, is it called the beta? It's called Me- Metal really? Gear Metal Gear Survive. Okay. Oh, so there's no. Of course, there's no solid in there because Solid Snake does not play a part in this. Or does that he? we know of? Not that I, I mean, you never know with this kind of series. He might well do, but yeah, Pete sent that across, and I kind of, I went into, I thought I'd have a quick go at that, so I typed into the PSN store, I typed in Metal Gear Survive, nothing came up, I typed in Metal Gear, well, things came up, but it was nothing to do with this game, there was just kind of avatars and wallpapers and all that stuff. Um, eventually, I managed to just find an article which gave me a link to the page within the PSN store, they obviously just don't want people to download it, um, and there might be a reason for that. Um, this, I mean, it's I, to preempt anything I say about the game. It is a beta. It absolutely is. So, it, so it may well change, and it, I'm sure it will change in in parts as a result of this. Um, so, to give, so just to give briefly a bit of context. So, this is the first Metal Gear game that's been released without Hideo Kojima being any part of it at all. Is that that's correct? I believe so. Yeah, because I don't think. I don't know how much involvement he had in uh, Metal Gear Revengeance, which was the uh, Raiden-led um, oh, right, game. All right, so let's just say it's the first 
Metal Gear game that's been made since, since his acrimonious break left. from from yeah, from the company. Um, so so, and I know this from seeing the previous videos that were announced a couple of either last year or the year before at E3, I think it was, um, where the game is kind of set post. Um, I believe it's ground, not Grand Zeroes. It might be Peace Walker. I believe mm-hmm. where um, the the home base that they're that they're on. So, sorry, I don't know all the names. There are a lot of names in that home base. It's not like garden furniture. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult to remember them all. So that that what happens within the main kind of series of games? So that place is blown up and they escape. Whereas apparently, shortly after that, a dimensional tear rift opens in the sky and all the survivors are sucked into it into another world filled with desolate areas and zombies and all stuff like that so completely off the wall batshit crazy um so that's where this game theoretically picks up although the actual the beta doesn't go into any of that um it's a metal gear game in the sense that it's got Metal Gear in the title. <laughs> that was the question okay. I was going to ask. Nothing else about this game has told me that it's Metal Gear. Um, the, the way that the way the, be- the beta plays out is, and I have to be careful because I didn't play for very long because it annoyed me, and as a result, I didn't. I probably didn't fully experience the whole thing, but. You play basically rounds where you have to protect a large drill in this world from these zombies, which I would compare to, um, like almost like the clickers from The Last of Us. Um, they, they they were kind of missing their heads, and then when you made a sound, they kind of startled and then ran at ran at you. So those kind of things, kind of the zombies felt very similar to The Last of Us. Um, but the idea of the game is you also have to collect materials and resources to kind of set up defences around the drill. Obviously, I'm sure you're thinking, of course, this is all stuff I've done before in Metal Gear Solid. Obviously not. Um, it just played really, really badly. Um, you have an element of kind of stealth where you're sneaking around if you want to. When you start the game, you're armed with a machete. You're also armed with a gun, which I didn't realise until after I'd kind of finished like two rounds. <laughs> because it didn't you're tell you that anywhere mode. that you had a gun or how to arm the gun. And eventually, the, the kind of the loading screen, which is actually quite cool. Usually, you kind of have your main screen, which shows your inventory. And it's, and it's displayed as kind of like a, a wall in a 3D world that you kind of run around. So there's a wall kind of just standing on the side that you can kind of approach and you can have a look and stuff like that. So it actually looks quite cool. But that's where I spotted oh. there was a gun on there. I was like, oh, I've been running up to these zombies and just hitting them with a machete that half the time I'm kind of putting back in my bag and then just punching them when I, sh- when I should have had a gun. So I, ch- I tried using that and that was okay, but it attracted more zombies, as as you would expect. Yeah. Um but I was just kind of, as I played it, I was just confused as to why this was a Metal Gear game. We've played, all of us, we've played pretty much all the Metal Gear games. And we've, I've, I think, probably say we've loved most of them in various different degrees. But they've all followed, the main ones anyway, the 1, 2, 3, 4, have followed a similar path in terms of the, the nature of the gameplay. It's stealth-based, it's 
working out patterns. It's trying to take people out quietly and hide bodies and all the different kind of gubbins that goes with the Metal Gear games. Whereas this one was just about killing zombies, building wooden fences, which, again, wasn't clear uh, how you were going to build them. The don't... user interface was really poor and confusing. And I just kind of had to stop playing it because I was like, this is just... It's just not enjoy- an enjoyable experience. It ta- it's going to need a lot of work. For me, anyway, it would need a lot of work just to become an enjoyable experience, let alone be a Metal Gear game. Any cardboard boxes, Dan? I saw no cardboard boxes. There you go. Actually, no, I'm telling you, there would have been cardboard boxes, but none that you're able to use. Well, it's, it's, cheap. it's cheap, isn't it? It's, it's cheaper to take a license that they already hold, Konami, and um, ba- than, than it is to create another completely different ip and and let's face it i like in terms of like not spending money um konami are just you know really really thrifty so i mean they once was it metal gear was it was it pro evo but they they basically they once i think it was metal gear 5 when that came out if you wanted to buy the physical disc for pc all you got on the disc was essentially a link to the download page on Steam. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> One year, I think for Pro, on Pro Evo, they based, they released the PC version of Pro Evo was just the previous year's version, but made HD. Like as in, like literally last year's version, but just slightly updated rather than the completely like redone version for the consoles like they are not a company that really appears like they care so well let's see how metal gear survive goes down i mean i mean give it a go maybe it was just me maybe i just it didn't sit well with me um i mean I spent. I probably spent more because when you start, you kind of create your character and you create the look of your character, and it's your classic yeah. thing of you you creating what eyes do you want, how close do you want the eyes, how far, what kind of eyebrows do you want, what nose, what kind of nostrils do you want. So that is like that's <laughs> kind of what I think of. I spent more time doing that than I did in the actual game because the game was so annoying. So that's wow. so the only element. To be fair, the only element that felt like a Metal Gear game was the character creation, which I spent the most time in, and that was still right. kind of worthless. Well, Dan Frost gives it two thumbs down. Two thumbs down. Two frost down. If his son was there, he'd force his son's little fingers into thumb shapes and push them down as well. That that I, I would. That's that how strongly I feel. I think Toby's got thumbs at this stage, Dan. Sam. No, they grow in the third year of a child, like teeth. Yeah, they 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 start life with just kind of two like nubs at the end of their arms, and they just slowly grow fingers <laughs> over time. It's it's a lev- it's an evolutionary thing, isn't it? Because they just need their fists for pounding food into like a mushy consistency. But as they grow older, they actually need dexterity, so they grow fingers. Well, it's not like I give him whole like a whole raw food for him to prepare himself. <laughs> Fun fact: If you chopped off the top of one of your fingers, it will actually regrow back, but only until around the age of six. Oh my gosh! Oh, there was so... me about to cook my finger off. Um, <laughs> damn it, Dan! 
Dan, what's Toby's favourite meal? Would you say? He's he 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 likes milk. Mother's okay. latte. He he loves the, the the golden nectar of 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 natural milk. <laughs> Fosters. Yeah. Well, that's he's only just he's only just started eating things that isn't milk. What was okay. his first meal? Well, yeah. Uh, How many courses, Dan? Was it that free roast dinner thing in Oxford? Where he'd gone from milk to to what's called baby rice. Baby rice? Yeah. It's just it, tiny, tiny bits of rice. It, it, you, you kind of blend it with kind of with, with the milk and it kind of like a, a pasty kind of like porridgey type thing. Um, he's oh, had right, carrot. Um, today he had uh, sweet potato for the first time. So we're kind of just building it oh. up. A lot, a lot of veg yeah. at the moment. Not, not, not a lot oh. of fruit. Trying to keep him off the sugars. No, no, no. So medical advice, food advice, and if you're planning a board game night with your pals, that's covered too. So we've, we've ticked all you... the major podcasting boxes. I mean, we excel at none of them, but yeah. we're doing some of them. We excel at hunkering. <laughs> Literally, and in podcast form. Yeah. This is the podcast form of hunkering. That was staying in with myself, Sam Turner, Daniel Frost and Chris Darby. If you've enjoyed this episode, then make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Acast, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play or wherever you prefer to get your podcast from. If you'd like to leave us a review too, then we'd be really grateful. Visit stayingin.podbean.com for more information and links to all the things we've covered in this episode. And you can find us on Twitter on at stayinginpod. But until next time, thanks for listening.